Okay, well, we uh, Sunday had a uh, a really good introduction to chapter three, and we're not gonna we're not gonna overly spend time there, other than to pick up so we can pick the trail up where we uh, where we began. You'll remember that, of course, the theme of this chapter is what it's better than Moses, um, which comes after chapter two. Chapter 1. We're getting to chapter 4 tonight. Anybody ahead? God's rest. Be diligent. Be diligent to enter God's rest. So there we go. Keep working on it. Everybody's doing good. So Jesus and Moses, we, we, we picked up starting with the Scriptures in Hebrews, but then we expanded it based upon kind of the collective things that we do as a class, the things that were similar and contrasted in Jesus and Moses. And so... Um, since the theme of the chapter is Jesus is better than Moses, we actually see from the contrast that Jesus, as the son over God's house, <coughs> faithful to his mission to God, but the son over God's house, was of course better than Moses, who was also faithful to his mission, but he was a son in God's house? No, he was a what? It's the word Hebrew writer uses. Moses was a servant in God's house. And so, of course, a son is better than a servant, and the son also built the house. Moses was a laborer. Um, Jesus was sinless. Moses was a man. So all those contrasts really pointed out our thing that Jesus is better than Moses, and that was really what the Hebrew writer wanted them to conclude about that comparison. However, is that really what the chapter needs to move ahead? Is, and the answer is... It was one of the things that Jesus and Moses shared that they were both praised for, and that is what? Their faithfulness. faithfulness. And that the fact that they were faithful to God's calling, they were both, as it were, apostles of God. They were both sent with messages from God. Because they were faithful... That means, that's, that's the quality that I think the Hebrew writer is going to spend the rest of chapter 3 and all the way through chapter 4 on verse 13 talking about. What is faithfulness to God? And how do we understand and use that? And of course, he wants those who hold fast to, that, that are in Christ's house, he wants them to hold fast the confidence and rejoicing of the hope firm to the end. We, on Sunday, defined that long phrase by one word. What was that one word? What's he say? Steadfast. That what? Steadfast. Faithful. Faithful is the one we use. Steadfast is part of that, but faithful. And so, Jesus was faithful, Moses was faithful as servants of God. And if we are to be pleasing to servants of God in the same way, we have to be faithful. So the question then becomes, what is Faithful. We all know what that means, right? We go to church. We know what faithful means, right? We should be able to define that easily. Well, the Hebrew writer defines faithful by showing us a huge example of unfaithful. And so we're going to learn from that example what not to do as we flip that coin over to understand what God really wants us to do. And so I didn't bring both of these slides up, but we talked about this in Hebrews 3, verses 7 through 11, the writer actually quotes Psalms 95, 7 through 11. And it's 
the speech that God gives about the Israelites when they came to the River Jordan and they decided upon the advice of ten spies over the two that it was too hard to go take the land and they turned back. And so we, we talked about all the things that they did in rejecting God. And then the Hebrew writer in, in, in chapter 3, beginning of verse 13, begins to describe the characteristics of these people who came to the brink of doing God's will and entering over into God's rest, but decided it was too hard. He said they had an evil heart of unbelief. We talked some about, wow, you mean pulling back from doing what I know is God's Word? I know that might be disobedient, but oh, evil, that's a really tough word, right? Evil heart of unbelief. They departed from the living God. This was such a tough thing that the Hebrew writer says, because we need to make sure nobody else pulls back, what do we need to do? Exhort one another daily. And that word daily, what did we bring out about daily? When, when is daily on our priority list? The way the Hebrew writer uses that word. Today. If you know somebody who's struggling with pulling back from God's word, today is the right time to exhort them. Why? Because sin is deceitful. And somebody who's on that path will keep being deceived. But then he says again, hold fast. Be faithful is another way to say that. And then he finally ends up by saying, excuse me, that unbelief is what kept them from God's rest. And so our conclusion is that it's unbelief that would keep us from God's rest if we showed that same unbelief. Okay. So any that was a quick summary. Any thoughts or questions about that before we move ahead? The chapter three ends by playing a game of three questions. And it's not really a game of three questions, but that's one way I remember. There are three questions at the end. And these are rhetorical questions, which means the answer should be obvious or the answer is going to be given to us. So, let's, let's just go through the game that the Hebrew writer plays here. Who, having heard the good news, rebelled? Who, having heard, rebelled? Chapter 3, verse 16. But Israelite um, did. But the generation that was in Egypt that came out of Egypt. All who came out of Egypt. Everybody who was led by Moses. In fact, can we name two people who didn't suffer the, the consequence, who didn't rebel, who stayed faithful that entire time? Caleb Joshua. We presume they're families. They were the only two males of age. And nobody, everybody was, was unfaithful. Who was God angry with for 40 years? Same answer. All those that fell asleep in the desert. Fell asleep in the desert is what some versions say. What does the other version say? All those whose corpses fell in the desert. Does anybody remember what happened the night after the, the, the proclamation that happens in, in numbers about what their fate was going to be after they had pulled back? What happened to those ten spies who had the bad report? Does anybody remember from your Bible history? Those ten, those ten spies, that very night, 
died by a plague. The people who brought the bad report who's turned everybody else. They were the first corpses to fall in the desert. And all other 600,000 save Caleb and Joshua fell because of God's anger. Who did God swear would not enter His rest? I believe that's verse 19. Very same thing. Those who did not obey. And He finishes the chapter by saying, so we see that they could not enter His rest because of this is a sober and serious message here, um, and, and, but I want us to talk about it just a little bit before we, we go on and we think about some applications from this from this chapter as, as we go ahead. The Hebrew writer says that unbelief, the unwillingness to once they knew God's word, they knew God's capability and power. And they knew what God wanted them to do. I mean, there, there was no ignorance of what God... They, they didn't plead that we don't understand you, God. They just said, you told us to take Canaan and it's too hard. We can't do it. And that condemned them to that 40 years in the desert. In fact, in the, if you read Numbers, the 14th chapter, beginning of 14 through, 26 through 45, we don't have time to do that tonight. But I would, I would encourage you to go read that. This is God's reaction to somebody who knows exactly what they should do and go partway down the journey of doing that and decide to turn back. And, and when you look at what does God's anger look like, it is not pretty. Ten people were stricken, stricken dead, but the rest of them, over 40 years, God actually said, I've numbered every one of you, and none of you who rebel today will enter into my rest. That, Where, what was that passage? Numbers of, uh, 14, verses, beginning of verse 20, uh, 26. And then going on, I think that's the rest of the chapter, through 45. I mean, it, it's actually very shocking language. And this is God talking to his people. In fact, he tells them at one point, Your children will be shepherds in the desert for 40 years because you rebelled. And they will get to go in, but not you. And so, whatever this is that we're calling unbelief, that we've tried to define by looking at Hebrews, that the Hebrew writer was very concerned that the Hebrews were falling into the same pattern of unbelief, of pulling back once they knew what they had to do to serve God, and they understood God's promise and they decided they just didn't want to carry on through with it to get that promise. Um, it's very serious business. It's not, it really shows us that God's not something, it's not something to be tried with. When we look at the Old Testament, we think about those great examples of faith. And by, by the time we get to chapter 11, it's not going to be as depressing as this. We're talking about those are great examples of faith. We want to talk about the faith of Abraham and all the places we've talked about here. And yet, this passage is pulled out to remind us that 
like those Hebrew Christians, we as Christians can slip into unbelief. And it's a terrible place to go. A terrible place to go. John? So when you asked us about that first list, um, what things today mm -hmm. will um, can cause us to fall away. So I didn't speak up, but I thought of this later. And it's, it's just like these people. It's not just that they didn't believe, it's that they let their fear drive their actions. And it was, it's not just that they were afraid either, because they let their fear tell them, it's okay if I do, don't do this. But God said, this is my will. And they didn't do it. So that's how it was rebellion. And that's how it happened to us today. And, it, and we've seen people fall away because of COVID, because they were afraid, and, and they're not coming back. It happens. The examples, I mean, we'll jump into a second and start talking about some of those applications of this. But, but, but to me, when it, as I was studying this and just thinking about this, it was the most sobering part of this is like, wow, to, to fall into a place, you know, there are places of ignorance where people have never heard God's Word. They've never seen God's, well, that doesn't change that they're not responsible to God in all those places. But this, there's a special line. It's, it's like the Hebrew writer through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And these two chapters, 3 and 4, has taken a big highlighter and highlighted it here and said, don't fall into unbelief. And it's so important, if you know somebody who's falling into unbelief, don't let them fall into unbelief. And it's not just about, well, I'm going to try this for a little while, then I, if I don't like it, I'm going to go back. No, that's not, that's not what you're playing with here. You're playing with the same fire that they played with, and no matter how much fear you have, there's that other piece that they should have had. Because these people, what, what had they seen up until now? Let's see. What are, we, what are they studying out there in, 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 in Exodus? They'd seen the plagues. Bitter water to sweet. They'd seen the, they'd, they'd seen the water given to them. What else did they have besides water in the desert? Manna. They had the manna given to them. All, what, what exactly did they see when they left Egypt? The parting of the Red, 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 Red Sea. They saw the pillar of fire. They saw all that and turned back. Their God was someone who had already proven that their enemies couldn't stand in front of them. And yet, when they saw their enemies, they went, oh, well, these are the ones that are too tough. This is the one thing that's too much. This, this is too far, God. You've asked me to do too much. Um, does that happen with, with Christians? It happens with me. I just I don't think I can go do that, God. I don't know what it says, but that's just you're just asking me too much. And that's what begins to make faith waver in, in doing that. So so anyway, we'll stop here. We need to go on into chapter four because we're going to keep looking at this. We're going to flip it over into into the side of not unbelief, but the kind of belief that we need to have and what results from that belief. But let's stop here for a second. Any, I want to stop at the end of these chapters and Mitch's too and ask, what are some of your thoughts about this chapter and what we've learned here? Application thoughts. Joan's already given, already given us one that we can't let fear make us forget that we're servants of God. 
what else did you prepare when you wrote that down on your list? Of, um, the last question, what chapter? Yes. What are some of the application lessons from this chapter? The positive effects of routine encouragement. We're part of that. We're, we're part of the piece of that puzzle. Okay. Excellent. In fact, this is going to uh, continue growing in Hebrews, where we're going to see he's going to actually start talking about attendance at one point. But the value of being together. Encouragement is so important for us to make sure we don't fall into this unbelief that being together is one of the ways that we keep that from happening. So we're headed in that direction. But in this case, he's made all of us who are maybe not falling in the unbelief, responsible for those who may be. Pull them back. Don't let, don't let them go here. It's a bad place to go to walk away from God once you know God. I think um, building relationships is very important. You can attend and be together, which is very, very important. But someone can be uh, assembling every single Sunday or Wednesday night just sitting in a pew and still go to hell. And I'm a good example of that, unfortunately, back in the day where, I mean, no one reached out to me, but I never stopped going because of my kids. But I was, you know, a Sunday goer and not faithful the rest of the week. So I think if you know somebody, you know them. And it's easier to Excellent. help those people. Excellent. The process of the, the, of the Israelites falling into belief, you think that was that was just an overnight thing that one day it's like, man, we're great, we're going to the promised land, and then the next morning, ah, don't think we're going to go there. You think that happened like that? There was a progress. There was a progression that happened. There. You see that a lot of times with generations of families, like you know, grandma and grandpa, and then the next generation, if they, if they don't build their own faith and, and, and take it to the next level, then they're weaker, then their children will be weaker. Then a lot of times it, it's, a, it's a generational thing too, which you see a lot of times with Israel, each generation just got further and further away from God. And you know, there were cycles and judges of cycles and all this stuff that left, just... Left to its own unbelief yeah. or unrampant, it will drive it down. So yeah. why, why might the Hebrew writer say in the middle of that when he, he said there a second ago, encourage people. It takes active intervention to keep this erosion from happening. And that's you're exactly right. Lisa? Um, be brave anyway. Um, as far as like Caleb and Joshua, I'm sure it was not easy to stand up. But everybody else was saying, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, you're right. You know, be swayed. Be brave. What's, uh, what's the definition of courage? You may remember the Quick definition of courage it Being is Being scared to death and still saddling up anyways. Being scared to death and still taking action. Fear, fear can be a, fear can actually be a good thing. The right fear, we're going to talk about that in a minute. But fear can't cause us to take the wrong action or no action, which is almost always the wrong action in and of itself, to take no action to do that. So that's exactly right. Other thoughts? These are good. Andy? Just had a comment. So, the fact that the Israelites saw all these things and God's power and yet still did not obey reminded me of the rich man when he awoke in torment 
and he asked Abraham to send Lazarus back, but but Abraham said they have the law and the prophets, mm -hmm. and he said no, but if you send someone from the dead, then they'll believe. And Abraham said, no, if they don't listen to Abraham and the prophets, then not even if someone came back from the dead will they believe. And so that, that kind of tells you the Word of God is sufficient, right? And it should be sufficient. And we shouldn't expect anything else. And this is powerful enough to keep us going. Uh, so. I, I will use that as a, a straight man. Moving to the, to the next slide, because we're, we're, we're going to jump and talk about that in chapter 4, that very thing. Because the Word of God mixed with one other ingredient is the formula for success. We're going to find that in just, in just a minute um, as, as we think about that. And it's the formula of success because there's a definition of success that the, the Hebrew writer is going to pull out here. And that is God's rest. We're going, to, we're going to talk about this tonight. We're going to talk about this on, uh, on Sunday in chapter 4 and uh, pretty much go through chapter 4, verse 13 uh, on next Sunday. So we'll have a little bit of time to think about this. But first of all, I want to start off by, by just asking you to start thinking. God's rest. What exactly is God's rest? Was God tired when He got through with creation? Need a little break? Probably. Did God enter retirement age and he's just time to get out of business? Was the Sabbath being set up just really about giving everybody a day a day off from work? Was that what it was about? What it was about? They got a day off from work. Well, except the Levites they didn't get a day off from work. They got to double down on their work if they were doing it right. Everybody else got a day off. Um, in Hebrews, when you read this chapter, is God rest a figurative way to say heaven? Certainly, there has to be aspects of God's rest that are somehow bound up in heaven. Um, so think, think about that. We'll talk about that tonight and tomorrow. This chapter is going to explore those ideas. And I guess I'll, I'll give you the punchline now of at least the take that I want to teach and help us to pull out of this because it's been the thing that's, that's made the most impact on me as I've been studying this. If we look at being together with God and God's rest is what's going to happen in heaven and we're just trying to make it there, we have missed the point of Hebrews 4. Certainly we want to be there, but there's a different point to Hebrews 4 than that. So hopefully, I'll, I won't confuse you as we try to bring that out and we go there. So let's, let's start with... We just read the flip side of this. I told you we're going to try to turn this back to the positive. They could not enter into his rest because of unbelief, was the last thing on that previous slide, the last verse of chapter 3. So if unbelief prevents us from entering God's rest, what therefore is necessary to enter God's rest? Okay, this is the easiest life puzzle, right? Take that un off and we've got belief. Belief is essential. It's not just necessary. These people died in the wilderness and didn't get to enter God's rest because of their unbelief. Therefore, belief was essential to them being there. So the, the Hebrew writer tells us here in chapter 3.19 and then chapters 4.2, 4.6, and 4.11 
these facts that we're going to pull out. And we're going to we'll get to all these verses as we go, but I, I think if we pull some things out, it, it might help think about this. First of all, in chapter four, verse two, he says, "The word which they heard, whose word was that, by the way? The word they heard. Who spoke that word physically? Moses. Moses. Where did God? Where did he get that word? Moses said it from God, right? The word they heard, God's word, was not mixed with." What? Faith. So, there's just a here's a freebie lesson right here. We can know our Bibles backwards and forwards. That does us zero good. The Israelites fully understood what God wanted them to do. That's what they were scared of. Understanding what God wants us to do is a starting point, but it's got to be mixed with something. So I'm a chemist. You know, I know all about that. You got to mix the two right ingredients together to get the right product. And so the right product would be entering God's rest. They did not mix their hearing clearly of God's Word and understanding it with faith. We'll, we'll talk about what is that faith. But that's the first thing that the Hebrew writer said. It's not because a, a lot of people know the Bible, what it says. And, I, and even a lot of people that want to try to disprove the Bible knows what it says. But without faith, it's not going to mean anything. James said the demons know, yeah, right? Exactly. And, they, and they, they tremble. They don't have, they don't have faith. Chapter 4, verse 6, the writer then points out, they did not enter because of disobedience. Therefore, that's how unbelief is manifested with disobedience. So if unbelief is manifested with disobedience, how do you manifest, how do you manifest belief? Obedience. So there's something about faith, God's Word and faith being mixed together that obedience is in the equation because that's how we know that these people were faithless and unbelievers because they didn't obey God. That was the test of how that happened. Tony? And unlike us, you know, they had the benefit of knowledge of God's existence. You know, by seeing the Red Sea part and seeing the manna and the wall. They had solid knowledge. They certainly had some things we don't have. You're right. That, that's exactly So right. it's like, okay, how can you have that solid knowledge and still not believe? And it's evidently easier than we think, which, which is a warning for us. That's exactly right. Verse 11, he finishes up this, this section by saying, let us, let us not fall by the same example of disobedience. So, the first piece here is, if we don't have this belief that prompts us to obey the Word of God that we know, that's kind of the first point that he's making here. Where does belief originate? There's a really cool word used in chapter 4, verse 2. Where does, where does belief originate? In the heart. Hearing. And what was what, what did they hear? By the way, we share this with them, just interestingly enough. What's the word used in 4 2? They heard what? The good news, the gospel. What was the gospel that the Israelites heard? The land was yours. The land is yours. It's filled with milk and honey. It's got cities that you don't have to build, so you'll be secure. It's got all these wonderful things that are in there. All you have to do is go take the land, and I'll be with you as you do that. They heard the good news that they were going to be able to do that. And the Hebrew writer says that was entry into 
whatever this is we're going to talk about, God's rest, that would have gotten them entry into God's rest. What's our good news in a nutshell? Jesus is our good news, but Jesus does the same thing, right? They were in bondage in Egypt. We were in bondage to sin. Jesus frees us from that. Jesus is the way that leads us to God. We understand and know God, and we know what we should do to please God because of Jesus. We've both heard the good, the good news. And so belief originates with God's Word. So lest we think that not knowing God's Word is not nearly as important as what we do. No, they're coupled together. They're mixed together, right? We've got to have the proper belief, and we've got to have faith that drives us to obedience in that. And so that then, chapter 4, verse 2 says, prompts us to obedience. And I would actually say, mixed in this whole story is there's a whole lot of trust. Who's trusting who when faith is leading us to obedience in the face of adversity? Who has to trust who to make us go through that adversity? Does God have to trust us? We hope not. We trust God, right? And so, if the Israelites would have trusted God, but these, these giants in Canaan are nothing. They're going to fall before me. Look at what they've got. It's interesting. They said, we're not going to go because they're giants. So God says, He's not happy with them. They said, well, maybe we will go. They, God said, better not go. I'm not with you anymore. They said, well, we're going to go anyway. No more disbelief. And they were slaughtered. Right. Once you've proven you don't trust God, and God says, I'm done with you, I'll pronounce sentence on you, it's over with. Then it was over with them. Scary thought. We won't go too far into that, but where do we get to the point where we show God, Greg doesn't trust me anymore. I think I'm just done. I've shown him all I've got to show him. You're not going to trust me with all that? Nothing more I can do. He pronounced a sentence on one set of people. Are we waiting for eternal judgment for that sentence or not? Don't know, but it's a deep thought to think about that. But we do know Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. There's a whole lot of obedience and trust built up in the gospel that we have heard, of which this sets us on that journey to, to understand that and, and make that happen. And so we know these Hebrews in the face of adversity, in the face of persecution, in the face of cultural pressure, were pulling back because it was getting uncomfortable to be a Christian in the society that they were living. We ought to think about this lesson because if you haven't looked around recently, it's getting uncomfortable to be a Christian in the society that we're living. Will we pull back or will we lean into it and understand what God has told us? That's why Hebrews is here to help all Christians through the ages who find themselves in this place, whether as a group collectively, as it seems the Hebrews were, or me individually. I'm off by myself, isolating myself, and forgetting what God has said and convincing myself it's just okay to quit. This book is to hear us to say, no, it's not, because there's only one way to God, and we have to actually understand His consequences and do it. So, we're going to start this discussion, I think we'll come back to it, because we've got is it five minutes left, 7.30, so 7.35, seven bell rings, I think. Anyway, we'll, we'll, give, it, we'll give, it a, give it a shot. God's rest. The word rest is mentioned more times in Hebrews than any other book in the Bible. 
And every time it's talked about in Hebrews, it's about God's rest. And the rest of the Bible sometimes is talking about the rest of the people, other contexts for the word rest. Okay, so what was our studying the Bible, rules of studying the Bible, when you got a repeated word, what is it? It's important. It's repeated eight times, nine times? Nine just in four plus one in, eight, in uh, three, I think. Yep, yep. Ten times, I think. So it's there. Put it in your translation where it's at. God's rest. God's rest. So the word rest mentioned God's rest, His rest, my rest, whichever one of those contexts it is, it's mentioned all of those times that are there. And it's, it, we're introduced to it because when He was angry with the Israelites, He said, they will not enter my rest. Okay, so that was, that was the introduction to it. So we need to just put ourselves in the right context here. So let's just get out on the table what you and I each think of when we think of rest. And I think that'll be where we end up with here. I'll leave you some things to think about and we'll pick up here on Sunday. When you hear rest, tell me what you think of. This is no trick questions in here. Peace. Peace. Okay. Rest is peace. Sleep. Sleep. Instead of looking forward, it's the stopping of something. Stopping? Break. Big pass. Break. Good. Keep going. I'd say it's the completion. I think God rested in the other creation. He wasn't tired. He was complete. Okay, I'm not saying what God's thinking about. Just what, what, what do you think about? But that's no good. You're right. Completion's good. That's good. No more temptation. Um, okay, that, that may be kind of putting the thing you had in this there, but I'm trying to think here. Quiet. I'm, 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 I'm not as deep as you are yet, Dennis. So here's what I would When I was working for a living, what did I think of? Vacation. Until I retired, what did I think of? Retirement. I'm going to rest, but I don't have to show up and punch the clock every day. What, those are things that came in my head. So what, Well, it assumes you're tired. Rest does. Yeah. A lot of people don't have anything to be restful about. They've not done anything. How about, how about food? It could be. Like when you're at work, lunch break. Food and sustenance? Regeneration, right? I mean, why do we sleep at night? I mean, God designed us. Put that clock into sleep, but we don't get enough sleep. We don't sleep over a week as much as we should. Are we energetic or are we tired? A recalibration. Recalibration. Okay, now if you were Hebrews, let's see if we can get this in for the bell. If you were a Hebrew, what would you think of when you thought of rest or God's rest? What might you think of? Sabbath. Sabbath. No more wandering. I say a new home. No wandering. What if you were actually a Hebrew that got this letter? Promised land. I mean, we still wanted that land. How long was this after Jesus had been and taught the person? And dated exactly. It was probably thirty years or something like that. Well, I mean, the I mean, even the disciples, they were like physical. Mm -hmm. So that that's still going on in the culture. That that they're this physical mindset that you know 
you know, the throne and, and that early thing. So this isn't out of their minds as far as, like, thinking that the Messiah was going to come and, and give them the land and all those things. And all their friends were thinking that who weren't Christians, right? right. Yeah. So they were Relief likely hearing that. Relief from oppression. Mm -hmm. Excellent. Okay, now, I'm just going to start you thinking about this. We'll, we'll, we'll get this, and then, we're, and then I want you to really kind of bear down and think about God's rest, because we're in a really cool lesson I think we'll have on Sunday about that. It turns out Mitch and I both prepared, so we, we got double duty in, in making that happen, so doing that. God's rest. Did God need peace? Didn't need sleep? No. Was God tired because he was working too hard? Did God need a break? Did he even take a break? He stopped creating, but what did he start doing? He was working in their lives. How many times do we see about God working to the completion? Okay, how many has God has God got other things that he hasn't completed yet? But he said, no, entering God's rest. Did God need quiet time to, to regenerate and do that? I mean, he hears all of us. God has no quiet time. Right? Vacation? No, it's not gonna be that. Did God retire? Of course not. Uh, do you need food and sustenance or regeneration? No. Reca re, uh, uh, recalibration? Um, you know, what, so we talk a little bit about this in, uh, next week, uh, or next Sunday. Did, was God being oppressed by anybody that he needed to really find? Okay. So, when we define rest, and when the Hebrews would have defined rest, I don't think that they naturally, in their everyday language, were talking about what the psalmist actually first used when he said, God said, they will not enter my rest. And what the Hebrew writer, by inspiration, is telling us about God's rest. I mean, we're going to read about chapter 4. Um, so I want you to just think about that and think about our preconceived notions about rest. And I would even drop into there, think about this as you're studying it and, so, and think about... Let's not talk about the part where God's at rest in heaven with us one day. Let's talk about is there something different than that that this verse is talking about or not? Or not. So I'll just leave you with that little tickler there. And then um, if it's not just talking about heaven, then we'll talk about what is it talking about. And hopefully we can all work work together there. So um, We'll start there. Basically, chapter 4 through uh, 1 through 13 is where we'll be studying with this kind of initial exercise behind us. Thank you so much for your participation tonight. It makes, makes it fun to teach.